0: Welcome to Laser Focus, a podcast that takes you on the journey of discovery with the leaders that are changing the world with new design and revolutionizing how we think of advanced manufacturing. I'm your host, Srinath Youssef, CMO and brand disruptor at Velo3D. Today, I'm speaking with Ante Lautrich, Lead Process Engineer at GM. Ante has over a decade of research and development experience in the automotive, aerospace, and additive manufacturing fields, and six years in polymer AM while working towards his doctoral thesis. Ante's focus at GM is on developing and deploying metal additive technologies across the wider network. His work also centers on the development and production of metal additive components in the tooling, pre-production, and prototype design stages. Welcome to Laser Focused, Ante.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Rinne.
0: Of course, so I'm excited to speak with you. With your background, It's very clear that you have a passion for additive manufacturing, so much so that your doctoral thesis combined 3D printing with the high strength of nanocrystalline materials. So my first question is, what drove you to study additive manufacturing in this depth?
1: Yeah, I got lucky in my career path is what I tell people, where when I was going through high school, everyone's like, you're good at math and science, go be an engineer. And so I blindly followed and I went to university to do an engineering degree. And while doing the degree, the next question was, well, what kind of engineering? And it's like, uh oh, I wasn't ready for that question. So I took the stance at that time of if you want to protect your career, you want it to be in an area where there's definitely going to be jobs in the future. So pick something up and coming and cool. And so that's where I picked nanotechnology. And then after the whole nanotechnology side, I was like, you know what? I really want to do more of this research stuff. I really, really enjoy doing my thesis. And I wanted to do more of that. And I found a supervisor who was at the bleeding edge of what was material science at the time. And when we were working on these lattice structures, an idea popped in in everyone's heads on, well, this 3D printing thing is actually turning into a really big deal. Why don't we get ourselves a 3D printer and try to make lattices that way? And that was the start of it. It was just trying to follow what I thought would be really interesting and almost career safe opportunities in the future, in growing industries. And it just happened that additive manufacturing has panned out into being this very large industry with so many players touching so many different parts of our economy that it's actually been very beneficial to be in it. Well, now it's been 15 years of being in and watching what used to be just 3D printing and hobby level printers to true industrial scale manufacturing that's competing with the likes of traditional manufacturing in a lot of ways.
0: Amazing. Amazing. So Auntie, when you see the name GM and additive manufacturing side by side, it can easily be assumed that you're printing car parts, but that's not the case. Can you explain the difference in what you're doing with AM-enabled manufacturing?
1: While we grow this industry, there isn't that many examples of things on the road that you can actually see. You're not going to see it in every pickup truck or every SUV you drive today. And that's where our biggest use cases for additive come in. It's not to actually make parts that go in the car. But it's to help make the car itself or help make the parts that are going to go into the car. So, a big, big portion is in the tooling space. How do we help the assembly plants through manufacturing aids, through jigs, through fixtures? How do we help them make the car better, faster, safer? And how do we actually make some of the parts with a higher quality? We use metal printing to make molds that have conformal cooling channels that let it be a better casted component. And that's enabled us to make more castings and better quality castings that go into vehicles. Interesting.
0: So why do you decide on additive manufacturing for tooling?
1: The different sides of tooling are usually on making the part or helping make the part that goes on the vehicle. And in the tooling world, we almost become an aerospace customer where we need one or two very high quality, high performing components. And we're willing to pay a premium on those if they have some benefit on making the actual part or making the vehicle. So, what may be, for example, a $10,000 tool, additively, maybe $20,000, maybe $30,000, maybe $50,000 to make the same tool. But if I can make the car a couple of seconds faster and have another vehicle come off the line each day, that's going to pay off those tooling extra costs very, very quickly. And so in that realm, Additive has become a major player. By uh, using Additive, we're making complex, unique things that you can make in ways you could never make before. And I can make one or two of them really, really good out of some really good materials. And overall, it will be cheaper if you're able to make something that you can't make otherwise.
0: Okay, so you just touched on a couple of advantages. And I also think something we talk a lot about with 3D metal printing or additive is the rapid iteration that additive manufacturing allows. Is there other advantages from rapid iteration and some of the things that you just talked about that you really focus on when you're doing tooling at GM?
1: Just think of a standard tool or a standard mold, like an ice cube tray. You traditionally make that ice cube tray and you pour in your molten aluminum and you get your finished part when it's solidified. But you're at the mercy of what you can manufacture with a traditional CNC machine. You're not able to put in very complicated geometries inside the tool to help cool that material faster. So with additive, we're able to make these twisty, turny, really close to the surface water lines that are able to thermally control the tools really well. And what that means is your part comes out of the mold faster and you're making more parts per year. And that small gain may not seem like much, but that could mean tens of thousands of parts per year more on a single tool. The other side is in, in, in the polymer world on the tooling side, a lot of it is on consolidation of components and lightweighting your tooling. So if you imagine when you have a car that's moving through an assembly plant or a body shop, you're starting off with a basic frame and you just keep adding components until you get to your finished vehicle robots are moving a lot of those car parts from place to place. And at the end of the robot is the actual fixture or end-of-arm tooling that's touching and picking up the pieces and moving them around. Those pieces with additive can become very lightweight and very much consolidated, and that makes the robot picking up something a little bit lighter. And that actually is a fundamental benefit in what we do in that world as well, to try and make our cars as quickly and as efficiently as possible.
0: You've been doing additive for about 15 years. What have you seen in that time change?
1: Robots have actually been a part of our genetics at GM for a very, very long time. Surprisingly, decades and decades of assembly plants. We bring people from other industries to show them what true automotive production looks like at the assembly of a car plant, and they're blown away by the level of technology that's in there. And that started by investing in a technology early on, identifying what those benefits were, and then building off of those benefits. That's the reason we have our car plants as we have them today. Additive is no different. It's gonna be another tool, a toolbox. We're gonna use it in its own unique ways. And what the benefits in Additive truly are enabling us to do is make all those things that we want to do as best as possible. But in 15 years, what we've seen in Additive specifically is waves as we go through the hype cycle everyone talks about. But we find those places of applications that are very worthy, and then those grow very rapidly. People are starting to be a little more knowledge on what can and can't be done with metal additive. And now with the things that can be done, it's really going as fast as possible to try and industrialize those techniques.
0: Going back to the topic around what you guys do at GM, Do you see any drawbacks?
1: AM's biggest thing that we roadmap ourselves and what our future is, is we need it to go faster and we need it to have bigger machines. That's where a lot of our limitations lie. So if I said tooling is our biggest metal application space right now, the machines on the market are, you know, 400 millimeters, 500, 600 millimeters like the Sapphire XC. That's a substantially large printer. But for the tooling space, I make things that are meters in size. Does it make sense to print that whole thing? Maybe not. Maybe it does, depending on the application space. And so we constantly ask all the OEMs, hey, can you go faster? Can you go bigger? And that's slowly coming up in the news. You hear about it now almost on a weekly basis from different magazines of people coming out with much larger machines, meter, meter and a half machines. It's actually like what people say when they think about automobiles. If you go back, 100, 200 years, and you ask somebody with a horse and cart, what would you like? No, well, I want a, a horse and cart that goes a little bit faster or it's a little bit bigger. No one's going to say, I want an electric vehicle or I want a gas-powered vehicle. It's a fundamental shift. And maybe that's what we need now and additive, Maybe we need something different to go much faster because adding more lasers and being able to go faster, that generally makes the cost go higher too. And that's what's really limiting it us to putting it in more vehicle applications. It's trying to find a way to get that piece cost down. So that's where we're playing with all the different sides of not just the machine and the architecture and the parameters, but the powders themselves, the post-processing, the design of the components. How can we truly enable all of AM's benefits in order so that we do have more examples of it, not just as a tool, but in things people can see when they're driving their cars?
0: Mm-hmm. So as you work with engineers at GM, I imagine that you gather feedback around these innovations. Are there any misconceptions or even preconceptions that surprise
1: you? Oh, every single day. People come to us as an additive group and they imagine and they've heard in the news so much that additive complexity is free. You can print anything. Any design is possible. And you really have to educate the individuals coming to you that it's not really everything is possible. If it was, then none of us would have jobs. The printers would just do everything for us. But there are limitations in what you can and can't print. And while it is more enabling than a stamped or cast component, it's not completely design-free. And so that's what usually happens. They come to us, hey, here's this super complex part, please print it for me. And we're like, Well, that's not actually possible. We've spent a hundred years optimizing how to build a vehicle. And it's gone down to the sheet metal is formed in this exact way so that you can make a million parts per year. And then they come to us and say, hey, can you make this little sheet metal component? And we're like, well, I could, but that's not really what additive is for. How about I like lightweight it or I make it in a topologically optimal design or something that looks more organic and is you know, a benefit in some other way. But then we hit a struggle. Because they say, well, okay, that's a wonderful design that offers great benefits. How can I get 2 million of those? Like, wow, you can't get 2 million of those. You you can get a couple thousand of those right now. And they're like, well, then what am I supposed to do? We can't qualify a vehicle and put it on the road if we can't actually support the volume that's there. And so it's this constant battle on, we tell them what we can design and what we can do, and they get excited. And then we tell them the volume and they get, ah, well, I'm just going to go back to how it was made before. And it's going to require a paradigm shift. There are companies out there that are in the automotive space that are specifically working on this, on how do we redesign vehicles and the parts in vehicles to make them more additive friendly? How do we include design for additive? So maybe we consolidate some parts together in a vehicle to simplify assembly or really offer some weight or performance benefit that justifies the extra price or the inability to do some of the super, super high volumes that we want to do. Education-wise, everyone is learning. Our goal in the company is not just to industrialize additive and to find new materials and new processes, but it's to educate our tens of thousands of engineers on, here is another way you can do something, and here's where our good fits for it as we continue to find more and more ways to use it in every part of the company.
0: Okay. So you did touch on educating engineers. Is there other parts of additive that you wish engineers understood more about the technology and what is the capabilities?
1: I could have them take PhDs, every single one of them on additive and try and learn every facet of what they can do. But to be efficient with their time, I got to try to distill it down to what's the most important thing for them. So we do a really good job. We built an innovation lab in one of our main engineering buildings at the technical center where people, as they go to walk by in the morning and get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, they see this fishbowl of all these printers inside and it opens their mind and they can go inside. They can very quickly get trained and they can start printing in polymer, albeit small little components for themselves. An engineer, seeing something on a screen is one thing, but having a physical piece in their hand that they can quickly iterate through and think through and see how it joins and meets their parts, that's invaluable. And we've been doing that from an engineering design standpoint for over 30 years at GM with additive manufacturing, all the way back to the very first stereolithography machines. And so that's one way we can educate them very early on on what the limitations are. We have programs where you can go in And on your free time as your goals during the year for your own development, you can say, I want to learn more about additive. And the big thing is understanding what the different technologies are, what materials are available in each technology, and what is possible to be manufactured in each technology. So our 40 plus additive team has distilled all of our collective knowledge and centuries worth of additive knowledge into these little courses that we find very beneficial to divulge to our engineers to get them up to speed whenever we feel like they're starting to get their toes wet into additive manufacturing.
0: I might send my marketing team. That sounds amazing, that course. (laughs) So it was really incredibly exciting news to see that GM and Formula One teamed up this year, which leads to the question, which you're laughing at already, will the innovation we see in the performance side trickle down into the automotive world?
1: Motorsports and Formula One and all those areas are such unique parts of companies. They are also just like aerospace companies. I got to make one, two, five, ten very high value, high performance vehicles. There I'm willing to pay a premium on getting in some super optimized, really nice additive components. And we have a lot of examples in our different race programs of using additive polymer and metal to find ways to improve those vehicles. And then everyone says, well, okay, great. You have an amazing addition to your engine or your structure that you wanna now use in your main components. How do you transfer that over? And it's not easy. Again, we keep fighting this battle on volumes and dollars per part, but what's usually done is you take a motorsports application that you really find successful and you find a way to adapt it into your mainstream. So a lot of the things that you drive in your car today and those features that are in there, we're at one point in a motorsports vehicle, and then that same learning and IP was transferred over into the manufacturing of a more common vehicle that everyone sees on the road today. That's how it traditionally goes. It, it goes in those stages. And we're very lucky that within General Motors, we have our Corvette brand, which is a very high performance, beautiful vehicle that is building off of a lot of what we learn in our racing and motorsports groups. And so even some of those Corvette variants that are the racetrack variants that we race in a lot of races worldwide, those learnings are being adapted and then applied to the mainstream Corvette programs. And again, they will trickle over into all the other programs as a whole. It just takes time as you figure out how to take something we made one or two of into 1000 2000 into tens into millions of thousands, millions of parts.
0: So do you see your role at GM being at the forefront of this evolution in additive manufacturing? And do you see other automotive companies following this path?
1: I consider my job one of the greatest in the world. I wouldn't be it if I didn't love doing what I do. But I get to see firsthand how additive is growing and changing, and how we keep finding ways to adopt it. And so we learn a lot that way through companies, through materials, through suppliers, and through post-processing technologies even tier ones who are adopting additive themselves and come to us saying, hey, we figured out this great new way of making part A, B, C. What do you think? Can we put it in the vehicles? And so I get to absorb all of that from an additive lens and try to understand where should we go next? What's the right strategy for additive? How do we plan our future? That's fundamentally what our additive industrialization center at the tech center is. We get to bring in the cutting edge additive technology and be able to understand what it can and can't do, and then disseminate that to the interior parts of our company, but also our tier one suppliers who actually make the parts that go into our cars. So that huge benefit, love every part of that. In the automotive landscape, I definitely consider us one of the higher users of additive right now, in terms of publicity of how much we've said about what we're doing additively, and how much we're using it already in vehicles on the road. It's definitely one of the highest. And there's a lot of examples of other companies putting a lot of additive in their vehicles and going public. A lot of those are niche or very small companies. People talk a lot about the Divergence or the Bugattis or the high-end Porsches. And those are the volumes that make sense to go additively for them. But the millions of parts per year additively manufactured, let's say, out of metal is very difficult. And we don't see a lot of adopters there yet. But we're pushing that And we're trying to push that again with our other automotive partners in the Detroit area, through other automotive partners globally, and even through companies that are not automotive. We went very public last year with our partnership with Lockheed Martin and us working together from an aerospace and an automotive lens to trying to advance the industry to make machines that we need for the future. Because unfortunately, additive companies spring up. They have great ideas, great engineering force, technical know how. They build a machine to what they think is required. But unfortunately, that doesn't exactly suit what we need from aerospace or automotive. So we took a bold step in publishing what we need to be true for the next machine of the future. And by being able to be public facing with what those requirements are and what those metrics are, we give companies like yours and others goalposts for the future.
0: So you talked about the future a little bit, right? So what does the future at GM look like as we continue to see more penetration with AM? So is it less like bigger machines and bigger parts or, and faster production or is, do you see more than that?
1: That's the, I would say the short term, right? The next two to three to four years, a lot of it is on taking the big bold steps that have been done in the last five years and fine tuning it to make it more automotive friendly. How do we get machines performing at the levels that we expect them to perform as you would, let's say, a CNC or a stamping machine or any other machine, right? Those have been fine-tuned over decades to be performing and repeatable time after time after time. I could make an injection-molded part in one part of the world and another part of the world, and they're going to be very, very close to each other, if not identical. Additive is not there yet. I can buy one machine from a company and then I buy the next machine in the line and it's gonna be a little bit different. And the parameters are gonna be a little bit different. And it's just gonna have a slightly different uh part that comes out of each of them. So that idea of true repeatability and scale just isn't there yet. And that's what the next couple of years is gonna to go to. How do we make a very repeatable process? How can I feel confident that I can order a thousand parts from supplier A and a thousand parts from supplier B? And they're using different printers, even though it's the same material, and I get the same part. From an industry standardization standpoint, that's gonna be a huge step that we're focused heavily on. So that we feel confident that if I order parts of one vehicle, it doesn't matter which vehicle gets put into, it's gonna perform the same way on all of them. And then further into the future, if we look five years and more, it's really about what's the next game changer? What's the next Car to forcing carts jump that we can make that really changes what we do. And that's where, as GM, we have our ventures arm that spends a lot of time going through a lot of these startups all over the world to understand who's got the next big technology that's going to be a change in how we do things today. Additive, people think, wow, it's bleeding edge. No, even though it's been around for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, depending on the technology, it's constantly got revolutions inside of it that are going to enable potentially those million parts per year on a machine. So, you know, we talk about powder bed fusion, and that's a lot of what Bella 3D does. But whether we go into binder jetting or some completely other technology, those are going to be the things we keep our eyes on. And we're also going to keep innovating with to try and ensure we can find more ways to use it.
0: Mm-hmm. Something we haven't talked about is um, EVs, what is uh, the role that additive will
1: play in EVs? I originally, when I talked to people about EVs and learned about it myself, I was like, wow, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity. We are redesigning all of our vehicles. We get to start with a blank slate as we release a new EV every year. You have examples of, you know, the Celestique and the Lyric and the Hummer EV, and then you have the Equinox and the Blazer and all these variant EVs coming out. We're redesigning a vehicle we get to incorporate additive from day one. We're not trying to replace an existing component that was made with different technology. We can fight the business case for additive in that vehicle from day one. But then we hit into a roadblock pretty quickly that I didn't expect. In the EV world, what's going to be very valuable is having as much commonization across all the different platforms, especially when you're talking about the main part of EV, which is the battery and the electric motor system. You don't want to make a unique battery and motor for every single vehicle. It's going to be very hard to scale that. So what a lot of companies do is they have a common battery or motor for as many different models as possible. And now what has that unfortunately done? It's turned your 10, 20 vehicle models at its core to one, two, or three vehicle models that just have a different shell on top of it. And so now my volumes that I needed to reach before of maybe a million pickup trucks, now it's 5 million pickup trucks that all have the same EV core in the bottom. So it's almost like the goalpost has moved even farther away from us as we've entered this EV realm of the, specifically the batteries and motors world. But we're not going to hold back from what the true possibilities are. If there's a way for us to make a component additively, that's going to change how we charge a battery, change how long a battery lasts, change how much range you can get out of your battery. That's going to be something very beneficial to customers. They want a vehicle they can trust, they can rely on that they know will take them from point A to point B. And so if we find that application space, we're going to make it. And if it's with additive, it's going to be done with additive. So again, opportunity is abound as we go through this next decade of very, very big change. And everyone is all hands on deck trying to find those use cases so that we can really win with EVs.
0: Okay. So obviously, education is very important to you. Um, What about mentoring young engineers? Is that something you do? And what advice would you give young engineers who want to focus on AM?
1: The mentoring side has always been very passionate to me, just because I used a lot of it when I was going through my university days and my graduate school days. Being within your little bubble of who you know and what you study and what your field is, it sometimes blinds you to what's out there and what can truly be possible. So when I started with Additive, it was mostly polymers and I was printing little components on a plastics machine. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But never would I have thought back then, oh my God, I can print with metals and I can make a good part with metal and it's accessible and it's not $10 billion for a machine. My God, this is amazing! And it was by talking to people at industry events that I gained a lot of those insights. So when you go to places like Rapid or Formnext or Amug or any of those big AM conferences, you really open your eyes. Like you said before, there's thousands of companies out there, and they're on every fringe application space to additive. So it might be a vacuum company, it might be the people who make the powder, it might be the people who finish the parts or a special coating or any of those. That touch additive, they all give you their own unique perspectives and you can use those to guide where the industry is going and what's important next. And that's how I stumbled into almost the metal additive world where now I was able to start printing parts in metal. And it was just a a game changer personally for me. But it was only through talking to my mentors and peers in those areas that you're able to keep abreast of it because it's just, it's not possible. You can subscribe to every AM magazine and newsletter. And read every single one of them every morning, but it's just not possible to keep all of that in there and it's really through big organizations and networking events like that that I gain a lot from that and then in inside GM you know on my team with my people that I work with a big part of it is educating the new people who join the team on all those things that we've done so we've set up courses we've set up trainings and programs you come to our building you learn every machine you get hands-on experience you get to touch projects on really cool vehicles and making cool parts that you just don't normally get the opportunity to do. And so that is a fundamental part of it, trying to get people to, to rotate in, to be part of AM and to learn it firsthand. It's, it's not easy. Like I said, we don't want everyone to be a PhD in it, but we want everyone to have that understanding. Whereas you have a, maybe a good understanding of what molding or casting or stamping is or how you put together a car. But additive, it should just be another branch. You should know enough to be dangerous. And that'll enable you to make decisions later down the road, even if you're not directly in the additive group, being able to say, hey, this part looks like it might be a good additive application. Let me go talk to one of the engineers over there and see if this could really turn into something.
0: Okay. If you could go back in time, what would you have differently and why?
1: I chose additive because I read a bunch of articles that were really, really cool. Had I chosen a bunch of articles that talked about AI, machine learning, or chosen a bunch of articles that talked about some other super cool mainstream buzzword right now, I'd be in a different field. And so I consider myself lucky that I'm part of this growing field and I've been part of it for so long that I had these experiences. I probably would have just said, I should do this sooner. What am I waiting for? I started with polymers. I should have just gone right into metals on day one. They're like, oh man, let's figure out this metal thing's even quicker and get it adapted even faster. I truly have no regrets with how I've gone in my life. And it's just been wonderful to see not just how my network's grown, but how the company has grown and developed. And again, being a voice for additive in places where additive doesn't usually speak is a big part of it. So going to universities teaching classes on additive to the next generation of engineers and seeing what ideas they have. I remember being that young, eager student who thought he knew everything, but actually knew nothing.
0: That's really lovely to hear. I love that you
1: have no regrets. I'm sure you also have no regrets.
0: Yeah, no, I don't actually. It's good to hear it and see people actually really passionate about their life and and their path. And I don't actually think you were lucky. I think you probably chose your luck, if that makes sense. (laughs)
1: You have to be good to be lucky and you're really exactly. lucky to be good, right? <laughs> there you go.
0: Yep, there you go. Um, on that, can you share one piece of advice or insight you've received or learned during your career that you think our listeners could benefit from?
1: Oh, one of the big ones was always get out of your comfort zone. Too often you get comfortable where you are and it almost becomes your day to day. And I had scenarios where what I was doing every single day started to get a little boring for me. And so having an opportunity to really branch out and try something so different was really beneficial. Now that you might look at my like career LinkedIn page and be like, wait, you've always been an additive. Like, where's the branch in additive? There's a lot of branches now. It's a huge, huge field. But that's not that's to say I should take my own advice for myself and try something different. It's There's so many parts of the that we can touch and play. Metals is right now. Polymers is before. Maybe ceramics is next. Maybe some novel new materials are next. Really get out of your comfort zone, regardless of what field you're in. It it makes for a more well-rounded individual. And my other piece of advice that I always use for myself is teach as much as you can. I truly think that the times that I learn the most, that I just reinforce those learnings the most, is when I have to teach someone that same concept.
0: One final question. Uh, Where can our listeners learn more about the work you're doing with GM?
1: That is a great question. We have a lot of our media very publicly facing on all the cool new additive stuff. But if you either reach out to myself or the additive team, we're always available to let you know what's new. We're a very open company in that way that we want people to be excited about what we're doing in our next generation of vehicles. And really, if you see me in the streets, Say hi. Don't be shy. Awesome.
0: Ante's work at JM is a great example of the unique ways additive manufacturing can drive innovation. I really enjoyed hearing about what Ante's team is accomplishing with AM-enabled manufacturing, making tooling components that contain more sophisticated designs. This truly embodies the concept of making the impossible possible. One of my favorite parts of the interview was hearing about GM's Additive Manufacturing Innovation Lab. Hands-on learning in additive manufacturing is so valuable, rather than relying on a 2D screen to teach a 3D medium. It also underlines a theme we've seen come up a lot in this season of Laser Focused, the importance of collaboration to further innovation. Thank you for listening to Laser Focused. You can find new episodes every two weeks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and leave a review to help more listeners find us. I'm Renate Youssef, and this has been laser Focused, brought to you by Velo3D, where together we innovate without compromise.